Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to address one verse in verse 5, and it talks about contentment. Now, the intent of the Holy Spirit in, in this book of Hebrews, as we've been studying it together week, once a month throughout these years, we're coming towards the end of the book now, the whole point of it is that, that we, we would be making much of Jesus Christ, and in so doing, we begin to say, you know, I'm going to keep on keeping on. We pers- persevere in the faith, we press on, we don't quit, because Jesus is so much. He's so good. Here in chapter 13, as we began here a few months ago on this, the focus turns from building that foundation for why we're alive and what we're, what we're emphasizing in Jesus Christ, it turns to how we then ethically relate to each other, how we live our lives. Ethics. So we've addressed this. What are ethics? Um, and, it, and it involves the, the concepts we have in our minds of morality, right and wrong, good and bad, but not just your opinion or somebody else's opinion, but it's the concept of morality, right and wrong, good and bad, in the eyes of God. So what we're seeking to know from the Scriptures is what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what God sees of that. God has an opinion about that. We're to live by these. And there are several of these listed here at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 13. Christians are to love well. This is our motivation Because of Christ's love for us, we love one another. And there's this brotherly love that continues, this hospitality, this remembering mistreated uh, ones in prison, uh, mistreated ones, Christians that that are struggling in life. We, We care. We love well. We maintain that marriage is good, the marriage that God has made, and we addressed that a month or so ago. And here in verse 5, we, we, we are able to comprehend and live out contentment. And then we'll see how we are able to experience security and we understand the purpose of authority, how God uses that. These are some ethics that we are to live by. Because in the eyes of God, this is what's right and wrong. This is, this is what we live by. Now, the main takeaway today as we look at this verse, verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 13, when we read this, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When we look at this verse, what is our takeaway today? To make sure your ethical character, our understanding of right and wrong, to make sure this ethical character that we are to live by is free from the love of money by learning contentment in Christ. Not just contentment, but contentment in Christ. Lord, would you help us in this today to be able to see from your word that you really do have the right way and the good way, and you show us the way. Now maybe walk in this. Because of Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, the the fact that we are able to celebrate this resurrection of Jesus Christ, this next Sunday, we call it Easter Sunday, really it's Resurrection Sunday. It's the first day of the week that you rose again. Because you've conquered sin and the grave, you've conquered death, because you provide for us, because of your death in our place, life everlasting for all who will believe. Because of this, Lord, we want to be content in you. So move in our hearts today, 
to move away from the things that distract us from what really is important, to love you with all of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, to make sure that our ethical character is free from the love of money by learning contentment in Christ. How is that going to happen? Well, let's ask this question. Just be honest. Are you free from the love of money? How are you doing with that? This really is a character issue. And here's why I say that. In our ESV translation, it's translated keep your life, right? Keep your life free from this love of money. Um, many of you have the, the King James translation. And that reads this way. Let, let your conversation be without covetousness. That's a little bit different wording there, isn't it? Conversation. Uh, well, back in the day, the older English language, conversation was the way you lived, right? Uh, I love the way the New American Standard, anybody here have a New American Standard that you're using? Okay. I love this reading, and it is very accurate to the way it is, was spoken here when this was given to us. The New American Standard translated it this way. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Your, your tropos, that's the word that's used there, which is, is character. Make sure your character is free from this. Make sure you're bent. Make sure your way of thinking, what, what is at your core, make sure it's not money. Now, let me just put this clarification here, just because we've got to take the whole context of Scripture as we look at this one verse. This isn't forbidding you making money. We got to make money. Proverbs says hard work and skillful work is actually to be commended. You search out the, the whole study of, of work in Proverbs, it's, it's our responsibility in caring and providing and giving. And then Paul emphasizes this as well in Acts chapter 20, where, where he talks about how he was working so that, then, that he could help care for others and he could give. We are called to work hard so we can give. Really, it is a good thing to work and, and to earn and to be good stewards of and to save and to, and to be able to give. <laughs> Live like nobody else so that you can give like nobody else. I think that's really the way the saying should go. Uh, getting to the place where you're excited about being able to give. So this isn't slamming having money or possessing assets. This is not a guilt trip for you to get rid of all your money. There's a lot of places you go that they'll, they'll use this as, well, this is the social thing to do. Everybody has to have the same equals. If you think about it, Abraham had a whole lot of money. So did Job. David? God blessed him, and in that were many, many possessions. And the richest man alive to that point, Solomon, right? In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 8, there were actually certain ladies who, out of their substance, out of their means, provided for the needs of Christ's ministry. Isn't that cool? Also, Joseph of Arimathea, he was the one that purchased the burial clothing and provided the burial place for Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, I love this. I love Barnabas. Barnabas had possessions, 
And he sold that to care for the people during this time that the church was taking off and, and everything that was happening there. So there, were, there, were, there was a reason why God had blessed him so that he could give. And Lydia, um, she had a house large enough to be able to host. Yes. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, that we read that God richly supplies all of these things for us to enjoy. Yet we are often guilty of loving money. Here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we're admonished, keep your life free from loving money. How would you know if that's a problem? Well, are you an American? It's probably a problem, okay? Really, the answer comes down to this. You know you're loving money when you're not content. I'd be happy if, and then just a little bit more. Have you ever been known anybody with millions of dollars? Are they satisfied? They want a little bit more. Know anybody that's really struggling to just have basics oh if i could just have a little bit more we're we're all struggling with the love of money here in hebrews 13 verse 5 we're urged to keep our lives free from the love of money so then i'm reading something like that and i'm thinking okay i get that i know that's important how how am i going to do that Well, let's look for some admonitions here in this passage that we can use. Actually, the passage brings it out. It's very clear. Two admonitions. Be content with what you have. Again, some careful consideration here and two things to consider. Be be content with what you have. Consider what is enough. If we're going to be content with what we have, we need to consider what is enough. The word content here Archeo in this verse, verse 5, is the idea of enough. Keep your hearts free, your character free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Recognize enough is what you have. Our ethical perspective needs to be that what we have right now is enough. Again, I'm asking why. Well, if you look at 1 Timothy, in fact, if you'll keep your place in Hebrews 13 and go back a few pages back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's another word here used in 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, where I believe it's, it's uh, stated in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. That word contentment there is actually a different word than what we have in Hebrews. Uh, It's another word that has the idea of, okay, this is good. We're seeing the good. It's autarkia which is the idea of a frame of mind that sees good. So 
Look at verse 6 again of 1 Timothy verse six, chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with this thinking that says, it's good, everything's good, that's great gain. 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy. Why do I keep saying 1 Corinthians? It's 1 Timothy, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. That's, that's the idea here. Contentment that is framed of, with a mind that says this is good. Most people don't have that mind that says this is good, do we? We're not satisfied with the good that God has provided. All the way back in the garden, all the way through every age, it's not new now, it certainly is true today as well, but we don't have that sense of, okay, God, you've been so good to me. We always are thinking, I deserve more. It's not fair. It's not, it's not right that somebody else should have something that I don't. And they don't see the good. So that's the context. Then we get into verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be, and here's our word that we have in, 1 Corinthians, in Hebrews chapter 13. I did it again. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Be content. All right? And we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Ah. This is our word, arkeo. With food and clothing, with these, it's enough. This is enough. With these, we say, God's good. He's provided everything I need for my present happiness, so it's good. Food and covering. I have enough. In 2012, I think it was, 10 years or so ago, had the, it was a, it was one of those moments in life that you say, I'm never going to forget this. We had the opportunity to travel with several from our church from in Georgia with a, a state representative, a friend of ours by the name of Timothy Barr, down to Bolivia. Uh, we flew into Santa Cruz and then drove north a number of hours to a children's home. The situation in Bolivia is that th- their, their cities are overrun with, with street children. The reason the children are living on the street is because of, uh, they, they, they have a certain being that people just get high on and they live to have that high from that being and they, they, they can't manage life because they're, they're high all the time. And so they just kick their kids out of the way because they're not wanted anymore. And these kids live under bridges, uh, along the street, uh, wherever they can find. And they're scavenging and they're stealing. And so this ministry that we're able to join up with that week, that week and a half, has has a house where the children are invited to come in and they... They're able to be at home there. They have a roof over the head. They have food. They have, they have a cot. And uh, we were building a dormitory to expand so that there would be a place for these children to have a roof over the head and have food on the table. Basically, uh, a, a piece of bread and uh, a little bit of soup. Uh, and um, they each had a little locker about the size of a, a notebook 
a little bit larger than that maybe. And everything these children owned fit into that little box. Everything. And they were teaching them the gospel. They were teaching them how to work. They were teaching these children that it was not about them, but about Jesus. And they were showing them a life of love. And you talk about children who had great joy and could laugh from the depths of their souls and play. I'll never forget being able to go around the corner down to the river and watching these kids just jump in the, the, jump in the river, play in the water, and, and laugh and chase and have fun and happy from the soul out. And I'm thinking, what do I have to complain about? And having food and covering, that's enough. I was very humbled by that. We have wealth. We have wealth. We were reminded of that last week and just considering that right here in this room is the top 1% of, of the rest of the world in possessions. We have wealth. That should humble us. Too much is given, much shall be required. We have way beyond just food and clothing. But with whatever it is that God has put before us, it's enough. Now, does that mean that everyone has the exact same enough? Obviously, no. Because God will bless some with more to be responsible for, to care for others and to give and to enjoy And some have less, but we still have that we can give and enjoy. But the whole mindset of contentment is this word, enough. God has given me enough today for my present good, and I'm good with that. Let me say that again. God has given me enough today for my present good, and I'm good with that. Can you say that with me? God has given me enough today for my present good, and I'm good with that. That's the character, that's the mindset, that's the frame of life that we have, that it's, it's not about what I attain or what I accomplish or what people think. It's, God, you've been good to me. It's a frame of mind that says, God, you're good, and what you have for me is enough. There's a second thing to consider. Considering what is enough, but number two, consider how things could be. I found myself uh, reading a Puritan writer this week. That's not a normal uh, event for me. I mean, I, I know a lot of preachers really get into reading the, the, the Puritan writers, and it's good. It's good. It's just they're very verbose. Matthew Henry's commentary. I mean, just it just it just goes on and on and on. You just some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. It just you can read forever, and they keep on talking about the same thing. Well, uh, uh, Thomas Watson was a Puritan writer, and he he writes that way. And he wrote a book called "The Art of Divine Contentment." It's an art. It's a it's an ability to be able to think and live in such a way that that. You're, you're finding God's contentment, the art of divine contentment. And it's an exposition of one verse 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, where Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be what? Content. One verse, and the, it's 70 pages. You think I take forever to go through one verse, all right? 70 pages on that one thought. I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. And in chapter 14, he lists 18 rules for contentment. And rule number 10 states this, let us often compare our condition. And he wrote uh, several things that would help us with this. He says, if we make the right comparisons, it will actually help us develop contentment. So how are we going to get to the place where we are, are not seeking after the love of money, but we are learning to be content with what we have? Well, make some comparisons. Now, comparing yourselves amongst yourself, you're not wise. But considering this comparison of what it could be and how God has been good to us. So let's look at these five comparisons. Number one, compare your condition with what you deserve. Oh, I don't deserve this. Oh, be careful about saying that. What do we deserve? I deserve death. The wages of sin, and I'm a sinner, is death. What I deserve before a holy God who is righteous in every way and for all rights and purposes should want nothing to do with me, I deserve the only other option is hell. The wages of sin is death. However, the gift of God is eternal life. I'm so glad God doesn't give me what I deserve. Number two, compare your condition with those who have less. Every one of us can consider somebody who has less. But we don't look at that. We look at those who have more, and then we're, we're discontent, and we're, we're frustrated, and it's not fair. That's our world. We, that should be our mantra for our America. That's not fair. But when you look at those who have less, it changes your outlook. Watson, Thomas Watson, ministered at a time in England when many of the pastors were being thrown in jail because they were preaching outside of the control of the church and they were actually preaching what the Bible said uh, about things like uh, you know, baptism for believers and, and immersion and things like that. And they were, they were being thrown in jail. Um, anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Bunyan, he was one of those pastors that had been thrown in jail because he was illegal, right? So that was the framework. That was, the, that was what was going on during this time when, when Watson said, consider those who might have less. And he, then he asked this question, and kind of chuckled when I heard this. Am I in prison? He's talking to somebody, a believer that was in prison. Am I in prison? Was Dan, you know, okay, okay, you got that, all right? We're talking about this one back there, all right? Am I in prison? And then his response was, was Daniel not in a worse place in the lion's den? You, you may be in prison, but Daniel had it worse. Number three, compare your condition with Christ's condition here on earth. Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Christ's appearance on the cross, 
He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was disfigured. Do you have a friend who's let you down? Abandoned you? Christ's disciples all forsook him and fled. Jesus knows about these things more than we do. Compare your condition with what it once was. Again, we were born dead. Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, with his great mercy, saves us. It's because of the grace of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, we brought nothing into this world, right? We came in with nothing. So consider what it was that we once were. Compare your condition with what it once was. And number five, compare your condition with what it shall be shortly. I like the way that's phrased, what it shall be. Set your eyes on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God. This is home. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. This is home. This is what it shall be, what you have to look forward to. Have you ever wished you weren't ugly? <laughs> ever look in the mirror and you're, you just go, oh. Have you ever wanted a better job? A nicer car? As a rule, when it's hot, we want it cool. And when it's cool, we want it hot. You know about these things. When the microphone's not working, you want it to be working. <laughs> We're always wanting. Have you found yourself questioning God's goodness to you over the fact that someone else has success and you don't? Someone else has a happy marriage and you don't? Someone else has a talent that you don't. But change your comparison for what you don't to what it could be. What we deserve. What Christ's condition once was. What we shall be. We have a second admonition wrapped up in this passage. We have this command that be content. Don't, don't love the love of money, but, and be content. But then there's another admonition wrapped up in this, in being convinced Christ is enough. And this is where we want to drive home the reality of what this is teaching. Our contentment, yes, it's not chasing after money, it's recognizing Jesus is enough, but then be convinced that that, that is true. Jesus is enough. Christ is enough. And in this, we're learning to practice the presence of God. Back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from lo the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ah, that little word for, that really does open this up. When you think of this, this is a key word, for or because, for this reason. So stop and think about this reason. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who's always with you, Christian? Who is always with you? Christ is. He's with you. And find your contentment in the presence of Jesus Christ. 
I have a, a, a friend on Facebook. Sometime I would like to meet him. You ever have some of those friends that you have on Facebook as friends, but you've never met them? You don't know who they are, but you want them to be your friend on Facebook. Well, this guy uh, started off as a Mormon missionary, went to, <clears throat> I think it was Florida on his mission, how God changed him from where he was supposed to go to have to be in, have to be in Florida on your mission. And he was, he was convinced he was going to go uh, get this Baptist preacher to, to leave being a Baptist and become a Mormon. And, and he's talking to this preacher, and the preacher just says, you're wrong, <laughs> read your Bible. And just in, invited him to read his Bible simply by faith, looking at it like a child would, just straightforward and asking the questions and getting the answers, reading his Bible. And by the end of his Mormon mission, after reading his Bible, he was convinced, this book is true, that cult is not, I'm going to follow Jesus as my Savior. His name is Michael Wilder. And since that day, he's been proclaiming Jesus Christ is the Savior. And you talk about a change in his life. Well, he came up with a mantra. This is his theme for life. Jesus is enough. Anybody that can have that as their life motto, Jesus is enough, is somebody I want to watch and learn from. That is what living is all about. Jesus is enough. If Christ is not enough for you, then nothing will ever be enough for you. If Christ is enough for you, you will always have enough. If Christ is enough for you, you will always have enough. So, if we're going to practice the presence of Christ, don't forget this, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If we're going to practice the presence of Christ, how are we going to do that? Practice the presence of Christ. How do you do that? Well, some of you have read the, the book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of Christ. And he's, he, he determined, this is many centuries ago, but he determined that in his responsibilities that he would just go about his daily chores always talking to Jesus as he was doing what he was called to do. He's sweeping, he's talking to the Lord while he's sweeping. He's making breakfast, he's talking to the Lord about making breakfast. As he, he's laying his head down on the pillow, he's talking to the Lord. He's practicing the presence of Christ. And everything turns into a conversation with Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you start small, add a little bit, add a little bit more, and pretty soon you've got a whole day where you're having a conversation with the Lord. Just, just take out your prayer journal and just spend a few minutes looking at some scriptures and talking to Jesus about that. Yeah. Maybe start with 30 seconds. And then maybe go to three minutes talking to the Lord. And maybe 10 minutes. Don't try to go all day long saying, I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus all day long. Well, you might try that, but you're probably not going to do real well with it. But keep on adding to this concept of having a conversation with Jesus that just keeps on going. And he's with you. It's kind of rude to have somebody with you and not talk to him, right? Go ahead and talk to him. Include him in everything you're doing. Start small, add a little bit more, 
a little bit more, pretty soon you have this conversation that's just going on and on. Iowa is in the news nowadays because of one person who has become quite the star on the basketball court. And her name is Caitlin Clark. She has become known for being a great ball player, but she will just launch the basketball anytime she's past midcourt. She'll just, from the logo, they say, she just check. I mean, you just look up some clips of Caitlin Clark logo and you'll just find her just game after game every game she's chucking it from the logo and swishing it one time after time really good well um that didn't just happen i heard her say this she said that with her game every shot is the exact same motion whether she's right under the basket or at the free throw line at the three-point line, or way beyond. It's the same action practiced, practiced again and again. So you start up close, right underneath the basket, and get the same motion. Elbow, eye, balance, balance, elbow, eye, and follow. All right, you just you keep that all together, all right? Um, right underneath the basket. Then you step back three feet, same motion. Go to the foul shot, the free throw line, same action. Move back a little bit to the three-point line. Same action. Out to the logo. The same thing. She's able to make the long shot because she's practiced the short shot. Christian, with your practicing the presence of God, start with a little conversation with Jesus. Open your Bible. Just tell him what he's telling you and say, God, help me to believe this. Help me to follow this. Help me to do this. Talk to somebody else about it. Include a third person in your conversation and just practice the presence of Christ again and again. And then you do it longer. And then here you've been sitting in this place for an hour and for an hour you've been talking about Jesus, right? You can do that. Practice the presence of Christ and you'll find within that contentment. When you're thinking about Christ and you're thinking about what he's doing in your life, you're thinking about what he's saying to you, you're singing his songs, you can't be frustrated because you're dwelling on the presence of Christ. Obey God's command. Keep free from the love of money. Christian, consider what you have. Believe His promises. Be convinced He's with you all the time. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you that have not yet followed Christ, you've not responded to the gospel, let me say it very bluntly. You'll never find contentment without Christ. It comes down to this experience of the presence of the Lord. You can have everything else that this world throws at you, and you'll go away saying, is that all there is? There's got to be more. But when you come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He fills that longing within your soul, and you recognize He's with you, and He keeps His promises, and you have heaven to look forward to, you realize... <clears throat> Jesus is enough, and that's good. Let's pray. Lord, help us to realize that you are enough. Your gospel is enough. Your truth guides us in your way. Your way is Jesus Christ, and Christ is all we need.
for life and godliness. May we draw near to you and love you through this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.